Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. As you said, our guest today is Ruby Rose Fox, and our topic is Remembering Our Siblings. Ruby Rose Fox was a bone marrow donor to her sister, Dahlia, who died of leukemia in 1992. She is a Boston-based actor, trained solo performer of Little Legacy, a solo performance about a family's journey through bereavement. Welcome to the show, Ruby. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show, Ruby. And uh, I wanted, first of all, I wanted to uh, have you tell a little bit about your uh, experience with your sister Dahlia and, and what happened. And then I want to get into the performing that you're doing because I think it's quite an amazing thing. Sure. Um, well, I was about seven years old, um, and Dahlia was five. Um, she uh, she got sick very quickly and died after about eight months of treatment. And um, it, was a, it was a really, you know, torrid experience for a small person to take into, but I, I remember the magnitude of it um, and remembered how much, how much help I needed and didn't have as a child and you were only eight years old, right? Yes. And you gave a bone marrow. I did. I was her. I was her donor. Um, and then after donating, she died about three weeks after that. And that's mm-hmm. dramatic in and of itself. Uh, giving a donor. I mean, that's yeah. rather painful, isn't it? Oh, it was. I for younger children, they they put you completely under. Oh, okay. So I was sore, but it wasn't. It wasn't a traumatic. Now, now, I mean, I would think being eight and losing a five-year-old sister like this would be really scary. And I'm also, I'm, I'm wondering, as an eight-year-old, did you feel like it was, an, it, it was your fault in any way because you had donated, been a, a donor, or not really? I, 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 I didn't feel like it was my fault. I, mm-hmm. When people would say it's not your fault, it's not your fault, I'd be like, duh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, yeah. um, but. I did feel very, I was very, very, very sad because it was almost like, she was almost a twin to me because we were so close in age and we were just discovering the world together. So a part of my identity was wrapped up into her. Mm-hmm. So when she died, it was like literally splitting me in two so and trying to of- figure out the rest of the world without her. Yeah, a part of your identity died, it sounds like, when she died. And I was also very aware that I had, you know, I watched the whole process and I watched her her taking in my bone marrow into her body. And I was very aware that I was healing her and that was my job and I, I was the chosen child to do this for her and it was, it was I was really happy to be that person. And so she t- started to recover? She did not. She she quickly declined after that. She quickly that. declined after that. Um, so I know it wasn't my fault, but there was there was there was a feeling of of disappointment. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's great that you knew on some level that it wasn't your fault because so many kids at that age have magical thinking where they almost believe I caused it somehow when they didn't, obviously. Yeah. But it was great that you knew. Well, of course, it was nothing that I had done. She, you know, she was sick and she Well, you, you were quite the spunky kid. I mean, um, you want to read about Dahlia is, I mean, uh, Ruby is... Uh, uh, probably Ruby Dahlia, right? Connection. <laughs> uh, Ruby has written. Uh, she's one of our writers for the foundation site, and she has written a wonderful little piece called "Surviving Sister Nurses Her Wounds," and and a picture of you there, you lovely person. <laughs> <laughs> she's beautiful, and she has written this wonderful piece, which fits into right now what you did after the bone marrow and all that. You started um, wearing a bandage, right? Yes. <laughs> Tell us about our audience about that a little bit. I I was feeling very worried once the the commotion of grief stopped being outwardly shown in my household um, because I felt like it didn't make sense for us to not be talking about her or grieving for her, but it stopped after a while. It slowly, slowly started to just become normal without her anymore, and I really didn't like that because I felt like if that ended, then she would end too. Um, and remembering her was really important to me. Um, but my family was very isolated after she died. We we rarely communicated with each other about, about Dahlia except very rare and special moments. Um, but I wore a bandage to school because I was... I was obsessed with injuries and pain, and it was very kind. Of, it was very bizarre. It was bizarre behavior. Um, I never hurt myself, but I I watched people with slings, and I remember the, the I was very connected to the hospital because that's the last place I saw her. So anytime I saw someone with an injury, I connected that to Dahlia, and I wanted one, and I was always jealous that I was never breaking any bones. <laughs> because to me, that was the closest thing to her. So I wore a ace bandage to school one day, even though I hadn't injured myself and faked an injury. <laughs> so I'm going to leave that. If people want to hear more about that, go to the Open to Hope Foundation site and scroll down to Surviving Sister Nurses Her Wounds. Well, and, and I, I just wanted to say something, that I think that the wearing an ace bandage was such a metaphor for the fact that although you weren't physically injured, you were injured on the inside. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Your spirit was injured. I also think one of the important things here right before we go to break is to families out there, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about what Ruby's done with her loss and, and how she's come through because I know there are families out there who have kids at this age now and they're wondering what's going to happen with these kids. But one of the things I'm hearing is we do, uh, siblings do want people to talk about their the lost child, or the yes. sibling that died. They do want to hear about it. And Heidi's talked about it before. They don't want to have monologues, but they want to have reminders, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and positive, fun, happy reminders, that, you know, stories that bring that are wonderful about when your brother or sister was, was here. Right. Mm-hmm. I think just being on the show today is a testament to, to the cyclical nature of our lives. And um, at a certain point, we can come back and help others. Uh, with the same process that we dealt with um, to lead them towards a, a light and and not the other way. But I also think something about children is that 
I almost think that they are more apt to recovery and finding creative outlets than than even adults are. They I remember just going up in my room and and talking into a tape player about my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um and that was my expression because it was it was it was natural for me. Whereas I think if it happened to me as a young woman, I wouldn't have known exactly how to express myself as well. That's a great idea, the tape player through art and those kinds of things. Well, you were talking also a little bit about the fact that um, there's maybe some denial of the parents that the kids are really grieving or they don't see it or they don't understand it. I um, I had just performed, I performed um, a version of my first solo performance at Emerson College and it was around the holidays and I was sitting around with family talking about the show and a relative of mine had just lost her husband and her young daughter had walked through the room and she looked at me and she said, you know, I don't really think she's grieving. And it just hit me that I had to do this show again because I knew that she was grieving and Mm -hmm. because I was and I couldn't talk to my mom either because if I did, my mother would cry. Or my mother would feel sad, and I didn't want that because I wanted to protect her from those feelings. And you also wanted to have a safe mother. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I, and I told her, I said, I really think that she's feeling profound, expansive thoughts and feelings right now, even though she is not expressing it to you at all. It's there, and it's real for her. And, and I'm always telling parents that because they always say my children aren't grieving, and I say, even though they may not might not look like they're grieving, you have no idea what they're doing by themselves with their friends in their rooms. You don't know, and they are grieving. We all grieve in different ways, and like oh, you said, oftentimes we want to protect our parents from further pain, and we don't want to see them fall apart. Absolutely. Well, Ruby, tell us about your performance and and what you do and how you got Little Legacy started and. And why is it called Little Legacy? Well, it's um, it's a it got started. I was I was working on uh, making a show for a class, a solo performance class in college, and uh, my work was not doing so well. <laughs> I wasn't really making anything that I liked, and I didn't want to write about Dahlia because I thought, who wants to talk about a dead sister? <laughs> it's so cliche. It's probably been done. Um, what's the point? No one wants to hear my sob story. Um, but then I finally wrote about it, and my classmates just just exploded with positive feedback, and I started to write about it. Um, and I found my, my mother let me use a copy of her journal um, as source material. Oh, my goodness. Um, for the show, and I used... What a find. I was going to say, that's amazing. Um, and through looking through that, I, I realized that there were so many things in her journal that she could not express at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever she couldn't express something in the journal, I use Shakespeare, um, King John, which has a beautiful text on uh, the death of a child, mm-hmm. or the loss of a child. I didn't know that. So, um, and I, when I did it the first time, there was... Such a such a emotional reaction from the audience. I realized that it it might be helpful 
to get grieving parents in one room together who all had different experiences to come in and see one communal experience um, as a way to possibly break down some walls um, and then start talking and creating new communities through that. So you've been going to hospitals and doing your One Woman Show Little Legacy, right? Yes. Now, do you want to, can you give us some short thing that you is really powerful from that? Oh yeah. Okay. My my favorite part of the show. There's a there's a scene where um, Dolly had died 20 days before her birthday. Um, so there's a scene where I am seven. I'm playing just as as a child, throwing a, a secret birthday party for her stuffed animals because <laughs> she can't be there. Mm. Um, and we have cake and we we touch her hair because my mom kept her hair. Uh, in a little bag, and then her imaginary friend comes in the room looking for her because she's gone, and 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 Cricket, is, her imaginary friend, is still around looking for her. And I, I remember thinking as a child, what about Cricket? <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> and so we, there's a scene with me and Dolly as imaginary friend, and we um, talk about about our feelings and. <laughs> And I try to console Cricket and, and tell him how to grieve. Can you give um, us a little piece of that? Um, I I don't know if it would translate over the phone. Um, mm-hmm. I can I can do a little bit of the Shakespeare though. Okay, that would be lovely. Um, no, I will not having breath to cry. Oh, that my tongue were in the thunder's mouth. Then, with a passion, would I shake the world and rouse from sleep that fell anatomy that cannot hear a lady's feeble voice. Mm. You know, we should have you write uh, a piece about the little legacy for us on the on the uh, Open to Hope Foundation. That would sure. be fantastic. It, it would. And I'm also wondering if people wanted you to do little legacy in their hospitals, how they would they would email you? Is that how it would work? Yeah, that would be the best thing to do. Um, and they can find her through the Open to Hope Foundation, right, Heidi? Absolutely. Her email is on there. Yes, yes, thank you. She, Yes, Ruby did include her email. at the and, and her article about the ACE bandages on our homepage today, you can go down at the bottom of it. She has got her email on there. Thank you for doing that. Yes. Oh, also, just one thing I just wanted to say about the show is uh, one more thing that I feel one of my life goals is to and reasons for bringing the show to hospitals is to help palliative care unit workers um, to understand better what it's like if they have not experienced it yet, um, the inner workings of a family and, and the complicated the complicated issues that come up for families about God and, and, and survival during that time and to, to help them to understand better and to connect with them more. Um, I love it, and I love that you're doing it through a play, and you're reaching the people that are on the front lines, the healthcare professionals that are working with these families. Yeah, yeah it's a wonderful idea. If you had one thing that you would want other siblings to know, what would it be? Tough question. Use that that there is that like i said before that there is cycles to everything 
Mm-hmm. There, there are cycles. There is a seed of. There is a seed of goodness in every adversity, um, and this may be something that can help you to help others, which, in the end, brings great, great joy. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.